Good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, Ooh, and I'm going to sit on the stool. It's a little wobbly, but I'm going to pull in my core, <laughs> sit up tall. Um, will you pray with me? God, sometimes we don't feel competent. Sometimes we don't feel forgiven. Sometimes we don't feel like we know ourselves. And yet we show up here and we sing and lift up our voices with others, hoping that the trust and the belief will come, that you will be present. And so we offer ourselves up to you this morning. We offer this time up to you. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations that have been on my heart this past week be pleasing to you, be present in our space today. Amen. So I invite you to take in, we're just going to take in a deep breath together and then exhale together, kind of getting ourselves centered. Take in a deep breath and breathe out. And we breathe in love together in and breathing out hate and resentment. You may open your eyes if you close them. Jesus, just here in Matthew 26, Mike dropped about the kingdom of God, about all these brides up for their wedding night waiting for a groom with oil in their lamps, about the segregation of sheep and goats, and about the power of good and evil. The disciples and Jesus' other followers exchange perplexed stares about this marital farmyard metaphors. And Jesus, albeit opaquely, is preparing his followers for this death and the kingdom of God that is at hand, and so he drops his mic. And now, if this were a movie, which is how you should always, always read the gospel, just a little hint, like there's this climax happening and you are watching this action-packed cinematic thriller, if this were a movie, our screen would then cut to this new scene where religious authorities are trying to keep things square those who are just trying to maintain the status quo for future generations of followers. So they begin this plot to rid their community of the speculations about this late arriving groom, this master farmer, this Messiah. So they plot to kill him because death of one is better than the loss of the faith of a multitude, they believe. And maybe... Jesus, uh, being one with God, is this omnipotent director of the film. He knows what has happened in these other scenes. He's seen the script. He's read the notes. He's prepared for this cinematic climax. And as Jesus prepares his spirit for impending death, he gathers his friends. He gathers Simon, who is this disfigured spiritually and ritually unclean person, someone outcast from the community. Jesus gathers his friends, including Simon, for a meal. And they eat. And they laugh. And they whisper questions like, oh man, what was that about the farmer? What the hell was he talking about? They don't notice, though, that Jesus sits in long moments of silence with wistful glances off in the distance because Jesus knows in a short period of time he will not be with them. He will no longer be present for these blissful moments of friendship 
and revelry. And as the party continues into the later hours, past the like cocktail hour onto the main course, a woman enters. And the thing I love about the text is it doesn't really specify about how she got in. So us as the movie watchers get to imagine what she does. Does she sneak in unnoticed? Does someone leave the door open and she just kind of crawls in? Does she burst in, hurling herself on the floor with a loud thud? Whatever she does, once she's inside, she crawls, claws her way towards Jesus' feet, where she takes out a jar and smashes the smelly thing on the ground and the scent rises. And it is potent, like tears in your eyes, getting a little nauseous and kind of a headache and you need to move to the other side of the CTA, kind of potent. <laughs> the power of the scented oil is like a prayer that wafts up to God's nostrils where even God swats away at this powerful odor. And the men, blinking back tears, criticize her extravagance. They don't buy into this capitalistic bullshit. There are better ways to spend money than giving it to Macy's or Nordstrom or Sephora. Instead of money should be shared and distributed with those who need to buy lunches for the hungry children on school-reduced lunches who no longer have an option when school is let out. Money should be distributed and shared with the Federal Emergency Management Agency to bring power and sustainability back to fellow citizens in Puerto Rico and prepared relief for the next hurricane that's going to hit that island. There are so much better ways, these disciples believe, to use financial power and wealth rather than stinky scents. And Jesus, always surprising us with a plot twist, reprimands his followers for their lack of imagination. Because he knows by the end of the evening and when the sun rises in the east, he will have had his last meal. He will have received that deadly kiss and someone will lose an ear before he loses his life. That's a really fun story later in Matthew. So this woman, without a name, without anything to say, speaks volumes with her putrid presence. She, this wordless woman, seems to know the future. She heard the whispers and has seen the miracles. She has sensed the tension in the air around her, and she has read the political cues that are being projected on CNN and in the newspapers, and the writing is on the wall for her. She knows the Messiah who heals the sick and freely gives and raises the dead, the Messiah will not last long on an earth that does not value bodies and hearts and minds and feeling of the feelings of the marginalized and the poor. She knows that he is bound for a hellish death because he's cared for the outcast. And so she anoints him. And this woman, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't have a name. And She's not perfect. She crawls her way in, sneaking in on this private gathering. But she does this welcoming others, maybe even forcing others into this ritual of remembrance and preparation, this ritual of grief and gratitude and grace. She wants to be noticed, but she wants to make an impact, which is why she barges onto the scene uninvited. She also just can't help herself her life calling is to make things beautiful in a world where pain of living is so ugly. 
She can feel the pull of the Spirit calling her to invite others into a sacred moment that they have not noticed. And so, although she's unwelcomed by others, Jesus sees her for who she is. He feels this powerful presence of pastoral care she has for him and acknowledges her contribution to his followers. He says, she did not waste. She sensed my need for closure, for release. She sensed my need to recognize the loss of life. And so Jesus, the Messiah, sent to fulfill what the prophets foretold all those generations ago. Jesus recognizes this woman's ability to be and share of her authentic self in a way that is authentically herself. Jesus acknowledges that the woman opens up herself to criticism by doing something that's a little weird, a little unpopular, in order to be herself and respond of what she knows is a gift when hurt is perceived, a response of loving loveliness. Jesus sees her willingness to be vulnerable and then reveals to his disciples and those gathered about his secret grief that he's been carrying. Because this woman's act stirs up the courage within Jesus to announce his death and the future finish that is to come. This is what happens. This is what happens when we know ourselves so well. It's really forking scary. We know we are gifted to do what no other can perceive that no other has the confidence to share. We examine our hearts and our heads and our guts and we learn the hidden corners that scare and delight us. We understand our weaknesses for anger and for shame and for fear and we find strength to name the truth anyway. And let's be honest, you can learn about yourself in a number of ways and there are lots of ways that among other cultures are not valued. So one way at UBC people talk about it is the Enneagram, which is the book we're going to be reading this summer, The Road Back to You. You should totally get it. I am not into the Enneagram and I've been reading it and it's actually really interesting. But before then, you should know that the Enneagram was formed by black mystics, Sufi mystics in the middle of the desert who were looking to understand themselves and how they related to each other and how they related to God. So this is an ancient tradition that goes back much further than uh, the Enneagram was kind of co-opted in the 1970s around a lot of white uh, faith leaders in America, but it actually has this ancient history that goes back and spans across many religions. And there are lots of other ways to know yourself. Maybe the Enneagram, you're like, oh, boo. Maybe you're a Myers-Briggs type person. Maybe you don't give an F about what your F means. Maybe you believe in strength finder and you are challenged by all of your strengths and all of your weaknesses. Maybe you just think we all just need really good therapy, which amen, yes, and. Amen. The myriad of self-discovery here is not the point unless you are a part of the book study this summer. The point is that we're different. That our differences are based on personality, but they're also based on experience, family, culture, ancestral history. Our differences deserve recognition and consideration. They shouldn't be hidden away. There are reasons why when we're under stress, some of us respond with anger. Some of us feel that we react out of deep shame and insecurity. And while others of us hide in fear, 
And those responses are valid and come from a different place for each of us. And when we accept and endorse our differences, we learn to be healthier, stronger individuals, but also a healthier and stronger community for and with each other, just as God intends us to be. So this woman, she bursts in with a gift she knows will not be received by others, but she knows her gifts, her tendencies to be stubborn and self-absorbed. She risks the critiques and the misunderstandings, and she enters into Jesus' space because she knows who she is and what she's called to do. She breaks her habit of turning inward and presents herself to Jesus with all that she has. And sure, it seems like wasteful carelessness, but really she is so humbly present and her authenticity her following the Spirit's calling in her life invites Jesus and others to witness the future of God's kingdom, that death is real, but it's not the final event. This is why she is the harbinger of good news, because she is remembered as the authentically one who is herself, able to be in authentic relationship with others and to speak or, in her case, to act with courage. And so we take in a breath. We breathe in peace and we breathe out any anxiety we might feel within ourselves. I don't know but for you, but it's been a really hard week. The recent uh, high-profile deaths by suicide from individuals like fashion designer Kate Spade and chef Anthony Bourdain have had me thinking about our dear sister Lex. If you don't know, or maybe you're newer to UBC, UBC South Loop, you may not have known Lex, who was a member of this church for years, and she died by suicide in late January this year. I want to be very clear that when we're talking about knowing ourselves and knowing God and working towards growing and deeply developing ourselves to be courageous people who know ourselves, that we are not condemning Lex or her actions that mental illness like depression from which Lex suffered is a real and pernicious disease and Lex did not lack self-awareness. She did not lack the self-awareness about her mental illness, nor was she a blessed beloved child of God because of her mental health or because of the way she died. In fact, Lex was and is and will forever be a beloved child of God. And the grief and the sadness of the situation is that we live in a society. We are caught up in systems that do not value self-reflection or honesty or authentic relationship. Therefore, it is our responsibility as Christians to gather together, even when we don't feel like it, to examine our personal narratives and our communal commitments and to live together in grief and joy together. Our act of Christians is a radical act, which the world may not value. But the woman in the story and Jesus' response to her reminds us that what we do is valuable to God. And it reminds us it is necessary for life. The woman reminds us that it requires taking risks to care for ourselves, but to care for others too even before they ask, much more before the, they ask. It requires us showing up in our authentic selves to be present. 
So as a community, we don't ask. We just show up. Maybe it's via text message. Maybe it's showing up for coffees or long walks along Lake Michigan. But we just show up and we sit and be as we truly are. We get to know ourselves. We know we are no longer enslaved to fears of judgment for the things that we are and the things we cannot live up to. When we know ourselves, though, we open ourselves up to harm. We open ourselves up to embrace. We open ourselves up to in transformation through authentic relationship. And so it takes vulnerability. It's really forking scary to be self-reflective, to share authentically of yourself, to be and come just as you are. And so we are able to be authentic and vulnerable with others because we trust that God, through Jesus, was first vulnerable with us. We didn't have to do this alone, but Jesus does it with us. When God tore the veil that separated the holy space, the holiest of holies, much after Jesus breathed his last breath, in the synagogue, there was this curtain that tore where the people believed God's spirit was residing and God's spirit tumbled forth, making God vulnerable to all. God's spirit to all. And so we trust that we are able to be vulnerable with each other because we trust God has been vulnerable with us first. And so we are proud to be ourselves, even when it's difficult to be proud. Therefore, we have confidence in ourselves because God has confidence in us. And then I also want to warn you, knowing yourself and knowing others is really scary, but it also leads you to do really courageous things like speak out on behalf of things outside yourself, like God's creation. I don't know if you saw this really amazing picture of our sister, Melissa Bryce, standing up at the Northern Illinois, Illinois United Methodist Conference that was happening, which is what we are part of as UVC, this larger body of a larger denominational church, talking about divesting in fossil fuels as a larger organization, speaking out when you know yourself, you have this courage within yourself to speak out on behalf of God's creation, the smallest and the most vulnerable. When you know yourself, it leads you to care for yourself and to see yourself tied up in the development of others in a community, maybe investing in the care of some of the smallest disciples. Did you see the picture a few weeks ago of the children walking around with flaming tongues of fire on their head, investing in young children who will continue to follow Jesus? Self-knowledge doesn't heal all wounds, nor does it make you the most enlightened person in the room, the person with the best feelings or the best thoughts. And it's hard work. When we're asked to expose our inner selves, our doubts and our fears and our fork-ups, that sounded weird, our F-ups. <laughs> but self-knowledge leads us to community knowledge and generational knowledge. It leads to healthy families and a healthy church that seeks to build trust and seeks to tear down societal norms that try and tell us that only niceness and politeness uh, can abide, that we can't be real with one another and talk about when our mental health and our mental illness is out of control, that we can't talk about when our sobriety is challenging us, that we can't talk about when our bank account is too low. This is what it means to know yourself and to be known by others and by a God who loves and deeply cares for you. We do this because 
Self-knowledge builds pride in oneself when one doesn't feel proud in oneself. So knowing ourself allows us to see how God sees us as pure delight, as a beloved, beautiful child of God. So we take in a breath of hope and we release doubt, trusting that God is not finished with us yet. I invite you to pray with me. Creator God, you prepared a way in the wilderness and you made a way for the woman who barges into the wilderness. Help us recognize your hand working in miracles and in ways beyond our imagining within our hearts and our minds and our guts, within our community and within our world. Open us to be transformed by the new things you're doing so that our lives may proclaim the extravagance of your love for all that is present in Jesus Christ. Amen.